want to dive into today's message. Uh, we've been talking in a series called Church Is, and the premise of the series has really been an attempt to get us all on the same foundation. Uh, the assumption can be we all come to church so we all are in agreement, and that would be a wrong assumption to have. Just because we're in the same place doesn't mean we're going to the same space. Um, we all have different backgrounds. Some of you just gave your life to Christ. You have no religious background. Some of you, uh, maybe it's a Catholic background or a Baptist or charismatic or, or, or Pentecostal or Episcopalian. It's, there's so many different backgrounds. The fallacy would be for us to say, hey, we're all in agreement because we showed up. No, we showed up. It's my job to make sure we understand what we showed up for. Like we're the church. And uh, the clarity of who we are builds a strong foundation. And I felt like the Lord really spoke to me that if we'll build a strong foundation, God will put his presence in this place. Uh, I know you felt it this morning. Um, it's amazing to see what God is doing. I believe revival is going to break out. I do. Um, I believe that God is, as the days are getting darker, the church is getting brighter. Uh, and there's nothing more appealing to lost people than an authentic move of God, the presence of God, and we're praying for that, that God would continue to move. We believe in miracles, signs, and wonders. We believe that, that, that the, you know, deaf ears will open. We've already had so many miracles. In fact, Ollie, raise your hand. He was worshiping one Sunday, probably, what, two, three years ago, and uh, he was just in the middle of a worship service, and his ear, he couldn't hear out of it. It's been a problem he's had for a long time. He was literally worshiping in a worship service, and he said, instantly, my ear popped, and he could hear. And God healed his hearing just by being in a worship service. I could tell you miracle after miracle that's happened, and we welcome God's supernatural. Look, people are hungry for real God like supernatural God. They, like, they're, they're, what I have found is it's the packaging they reject, not God. And so we just want to have the right packaging, Lord, that it's none of us and it's all of you. And uh, we want to make sure that as believers that we are what the Bible calls disciples, that we're building God's church. Even through this series, uh, the Lord really spoke to me. Are we asking God to build our church? Or are we going to let God build his church through? Our... So are we asking God to build our church through him? Or are we going to let him build his church through us? And I think we come in and say, hey, God, come build our church. You know, come and move. Dude. And, 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 and I think God moves because God wants to move. But the question that I keep asking is, God, what do you want to do? What is, this is your church. What pleases you? What makes you happy? Why do you sing the songs you sing? Well, because we believe God is pleased in those songs. There's a, there's a sense that when you play it, you can feel his presence. And we call it like, like leaning into God. We're, we're chasing after God. We're pursuing God. And so I'll tell the team throughout the week, they'll have songs that, which one do you feel the presence of God on? Not which one can you play the best. Not which one makes us sound better. The best worship service is the one in which we are almost unaware of everything except God. You know, we love the lights and sound, but listen, there ain't no power in the lights and sound. We love the professionalism of the band, but the power is not in the band. The power is in presence of God being here because he is satisfied with his people. And so we are really working hard to make sure that this church is a place because we've defined 
church, why do we exist? We exist, exist first to worship God, to equip believers, and then to reach the world. But if we get it backwards, we will begin to put people before God. Like you can have all the same ingredients, but if they're not in the right order, they produce something different. Anybody bake? If you bake, I, I'm not a good baker because I like to get things. I just throw it all in. I feel it's like you can't just throw it all in. Like you got to melt the butter and put it in there and then stir it reliably. Then you put in this and then you do that. And I'm like, no, no, just throw it all in. She said, if you do that, it won't come out right. I wonder if in church we've not just thrown all the ingredients in and forgot that order matters. Look, we are first here to worship God. And when we worship God, his presence falls. And then when his presence falls in this place, look, we're here to equip believers, that we would be disciples. And as we equip believers, now we go reach the world. And that's been the focus and the heartbeat of our church and will continue to be. Um, and so we have been in the series. We talked about church. If you missed it, go watch online on YouTube. You can listen on iTunes at Anchor Ben TX. Um, they're always available on Monday. Uh, but today we're going to continue the conversation and specifically talk about discipleship. Discipleship. I was uh, thinking through this over the last couple of weeks, and even um, last week my son had someone here with them who has never been to church, 15 years old, and has never stepped foot in a church in their entire life. And we were talking through it, and it's, well, the question was, what is a disciple? You know, there was a generation where we could talk about, hey, was this church and discipleship? But I mean, you know, as a pastor, you can't even assume people know anything about the Bible. Noah, who's that? Jonah, what? A well? What? Jericho? The walls? Come on. These are stories, but as most Americans, we grew up in a predominantly Christian society. Most people went to church. You know, at, at the end of the day, that's what we grew up. It was rare to find someone that didn't go to church. Now it's rare to find someone who does go to church. So we got to clearly define discipleship because discipleship matters. Otherwise, what we find is we raise up a church full of consumers oh, you got to do this for me or I'm not coming back. Well, that's not really how it works. What do you mean? Like, I mean, you, you, if you don't do it right, if I don't like it, I just go to the next church. Yeah, but the problem is if God sent you to this church, what you need is in the soil of this church, not another church and that church and another. God plants people in houses of worship. I was planted in a church for more than 20 years the success of my life wasn't because the church was the best church in the entire world. It was like all churches. What? Made up with people. Dysfunctional in little ways and great things here and great. Look, I had someone come and talk to me one time and said, you know, uh, man, I'm leaving my church. And, you know, the, this is that is wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong. And, and I just listen. I'm like, man, that's that's really, really rough. I said, but let, let me just make it real clear. What you are talking about there, someone left this church saying that about here. Come on, somebody. Like if you're looking for perfect, perfection doesn't exist. So what we're called to do is say, God, what church are you planting me in? And then stay planted because when you stay planted, now you got to work out offense. Now you got to work out frustration. Now you got to work out all the things that bring maturity to a disciple. See, consumers, it's your way right away. This ain't Burger King. Come on. It's the bride of Christ. This is 
Jesus' church. And so there's going to be times when you don't like, someone say, well, why do you sing that song? Because we feel like God is pleased with that song. You know, why do, why do you do this? Well, because we believe that's the best way now. If you got a better way, don't just complain about what we're not doing. Come and help us do your idea. In fact, if it bothers you, you're probably the solution. And so when you plant, you have to now say, am I going to look at that every week because it bothers me or am I, am I going to become a part of the solution? And that's the way God has intended the church, but you got to be a disciple, not a consumer. We don't, we don't, and, and society has created this through capitalism, right? The Yelp review, hey, we're just going to write, no, 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 make it better. Be a disciple. Now I want to dive in today, Matthew chapter 16, I'm going to skip down um, to verse 24 of the passage, Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Now this is where Jesus has taken the disciples to Caesarea Philippi. We've talked about this over the last couple of weeks. And he asked the disciples a question, which is the same question every person here has to answer. Who do you say that Jesus is? It's the defining question. What you do with Jesus determines your destiny. And so you can't just define Jesus. You have to define him as he defines himself. The Messiah, the Christ, the son of the living God. That's how he is defined. He is the, third, the second part of the Trinity. He is all God and all man. And that's the amazing part of what happens here. God reveals that to the disciples. They say, some John the Baptist, a good prophet, teacher. He said, no, 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 no. I got it. Now, who do you say that I am? How do you define me? Well, Peter, he says, well, you are the Messiah, the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus is like, correct. You got it right. And then what's amazing is he didn't talk about all the good things he's going to do. Jesus instantly goes into what's going to happen bad to him. He's going to be tortured and suffer at the hands of the leaders. He's telling him all the things that he's going to do and ultimately have to give his life as a ransom for us. Now, we know the disciples missed it because when Jesus died, they all left. They went back to their old jobs. They were downcast. Why? Because Jesus was the one they thought was going to overthrow the Roman government. And Jesus's kingdom was not a physical kingdom, but a spiritual kingdom. Why? Because you cannot legislate salvation. Just like you can't legislate morality. It's a sin problem. It's a heart problem. You're never going to be able to legislate through rules the way people correctly behave. It's a sin issue. It's a heart issue. Salvation is a sin issue and a heart issue. But what happens afterwards after he tells them what's about to happen to him? Now, Jesus says to his disciples, and let's pick it up there. If you want to be my disciple, you've got to deny yourself. You guys with me? I'm in Matthew 16, 25. I don't know if they've got it up. It's the last portion of it. Jesus says to his disciple, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. And so Jesus says, just as I am about to have to suffer, just as I am about to have to take up my cross, I want you to make sure you understand what the call of discipleship is because we, we love it when Jesus invites us to something that's fun and exciting. We love it when Jesus is doing the miracles, but nobody wants to go through the suffering. 
We love it when he's healing our bodies and the blind eyes. He's breaking the bread, feeding the masses. But nobody wants to go and make things happen in a way that crucify your flesh. Like, you mean if they persecute me, I've got to love them? You mean if they hate me, I've got to be kind to them? Yes. If they punch me, if they hit me, turn the other cheek? Yes. Like that's the part of discipleship that we've got to be aware of is that God has not called us to live like the world, but to live like Jesus lived, to be a reflection of who he is. And so he's, look, you're going to have to give up your life, your expectations, your dreams, your hopes, your preferences. Yeah, but God, I don't want to forgive. Who does? Can we just be honest? Who wants to be nice when someone's been rude to you? Does anybody? I mean, does anybody? Woo, I want to do it. No. That's what a disciple really understands. It ain't about what I want. It's about what you want. And I'm a follower of Jesus. I am someone who represents him to the world around me. So what I have to understand is that as I follow him, there are some decisions that have to be made. What am I going to do? How am I going to live? So what is a disciple? I love what Rick Warren says. He's pastor of Saddleback Church. I love how he defined a disciple. He said, a disciple is a person who acts, thinks, and feels like Jesus. Acts, thinks, and feels like Jesus. So acts, that's how we respond to the situation, how you think. That's why Romans 12, 2 says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that we've got to intentionally renew our mind with what? With the word of God. That's why it's important to read your one-year Bible. Why? Because you're getting God's perspective. I can't tell you how many times I've read the one-year Bible, and the exact thing that I need an answer for is in the passage that I'm reading. It's like God is like, I got you. Yeah, and it was planned out long ago. And yet God's word is so relevant that every single day, what I'm walking through, what I'm faced with, the challenges that I'm going through, God's got an answer. Now that changes the way that I think. And once it changes the way I think, then it changes the way I live. I thought another great way to define disciple is to say a lifelong learner, a follower, a friend of Jesus. And then a disciple makes other disciples, not of yourself, but of Jesus. Then I'm not trying to make a disciple of me. I'm trying to lead you to Jesus and how he would think and behave and act and talk and walk. And, and so we recognize that if we've led them to ourselves, then we're really not disciples. Disciples lead people back to Jesus. It's like, hey, because when I'm gone, you still have to stand strong. When I'm out of the picture, you still got to have that connection. So what we say is we just want to lead you into a relationship with Jesus. That's the mission of Anchor Ben. We want to reach you with the love of God and help create fully devoted followers of Christ who live moment ready. Moment ready for what? For whatever God wants. That he can change this, change that. Why? Because I'm going to defer to what God wants, not what I want. So discipleship, discipleship. What is discipleship? First thing is it's intentional. Everybody say intentional. It's intentional. No one can make you become a disciple. No one can coerce you to be a disciple. Now, they can coerce you to come to church. Some of you got coerced. Mama said, get on to church. And that's okay. You're in the right place at the right time. But that 
being in church doesn't make you a disciple no more than sitting in a garage makes you a car. And we can get real confused because it's like, well, I go to church. No, 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 no. That don't make us a disciple. A disciple says, I intentionally choose to follow Jesus. I intentionally choose to surrender my life to him. It has to be intentional. We say it like this. Discipleship is challenged by choice. Phyllis and I, we about five years ago, we went to a marriage uh, weekend retreat and uh, we often will try to get away into a place uh, that's different. And on this time, we were in California, so it was great. We had someone uh, gift us a trip to go up there. It was actually, it was Ark. And uh, we went up there. Great couples in the mountains of California. I don't know if you've ever been over there. It was just beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And uh, about 12 couples were up there enjoying our time. And while we were there, they had a high ropes course. I don't know if you've ever been to a high ropes course. How many of you have ever been to a high ropes course? Yeah, a few. I got one. Everybody else, you're like, no. You said high ropes, pastor, you lost me. Well, that's kind of what I thought. I'm not typically afraid of heights, but this was really, really high. And uh, they had us tied, they call it tethered to each other. And uh, they had all these different obstacles. But part of it was you had to get across a rope, like literally just a wire for about 20 feet across And the way they had it set up is you couldn't do it unless you both went together. And if one falls, you both fall. Come on. And they kept saying this, look, you don't have to do it. It's a challenge by choice. I know you're a little bit afraid, but it's challenged by choice. I I know you, and you would never say you don't trust your spouse, or maybe your spouse isn't coordinated, or I just think of myself as a much bigger man than this beautiful, petite woman. And so they're like, but you don't have to. It's a challenge by choice. And there were some couples that set out, but the ones who actually did it, I'll never forget, once we did it, there was such a bond that was made, a connection that was made that said, look, we chose to persevere past our fear, past our skepticism, past any concerns. And because we did that, we were able to get across and build a deeper bond of trust. Why? Because we chose to accept the challenge by choice. And that's the way God works in our life. We come week in and week out. And as a believer, you get to come to church. We get to go into next steps. We get to be a part of small groups. We get to be a part of God's church, but it's all challenged by choice. You could come every week and never choose to take steps to be a disciple. Why? It's challenged by choice. He's not going to make you do anything. You have to choose to pray. You have to choose to read your Bible. You have to choose to worship. Look, if you come just on Sunday and that's the extent of your relationship, that's not discipleship. Look, you have to choose to get water baptized, which some of you are here today. I want to encourage you. We have baptismal tanks set up out in the foyer. First time ever, we don't have to go to a different location, but we're going to do it right after this service. We got all the clothes you need. We have all the the mics. We're just going to celebrate if you're ready to get water baptized which is really the wedding ring of Christianity. It's where you go public with your faith, um, but you have to choose to say, I'm going public with my faith. You have to choose it. It's not easy, but the choice is up to you. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 6, Paul is telling Timothy uh, a few things about really discipleship. And it's interesting the terms that he uses and the picture that he creates. Look, he says, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So I mean, no, it takes grace. Grace is God's power and his desire. And it says, 
and the things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, and trust to reliable people who will be qualified to teach others. Now look at what he says in verse 3. Join with me in suffering. Boy, that's not going to get a whole lot of hooting and hollering. Nobody wants to suffer. Come on, I don't, I don't like to suffer without air condition. Come on. So you're normal. You're like, Pastor, I don't want to suffer. I don't want to suffer. I don't know anybody that wants to suffer. But you got to know suffering is part of being a disciple. Look, like a good soldier. So the picture is a soldier. So when we join the church, when we're a part of God's church, you didn't join a social club. You don't get the right to vote. You don't get the right to come in and say, I'm a part today because I like it and not a part, you know, tomorrow because I don't like it. No, no. We serve one God. It is a theocracy, not a democracy. We don't get to decide if we like what is spoken and I get to decide if that's truth. No, truth is truth. It's discovered, not decided. We don't get to vote. There's a lot of things I read in the Bible that I don't like. But you know what? He is God and I am not. And if you change God's word, you become God. Aren't you glad we serve a God that's bigger than us? That understands more than us? That understands why he put into motion the things he did? And here's what we understand. If you think God is just some legalistic God up there trying to beat us back and down, you're going to think it's rules and regulations. But when you know God is a loving father who loves his children and is giving us instruction so that our life would be blessed, so that our life would have the fulfillment that he's created us to experience, you begin to realize, God, I might not like it, but there's a reason why. And I choose to surrender my life to you. And blessings aren't what you think. Sometimes it's like, oh, the, no, do you know what the blessing of God is? It's peace when you're walking through the storm. It's grace when things get tough. It's power when you don't know how you're going to keep moving forward. That's the blessing of God. It's not always the external things of money and, and all the things that God wants. No, no. What if he never blesses you with anything for the rest of your life? Are you okay to say, God, if you never do another thing for me, you saved me. I was a sinner dying, going straight to hell. But because of your grace and your power, salvation has brought this dead man to life. Well, now everything else is in perspective. Okay, we give our life to Christ. I believe there will be martyrs in America. I don't think that day is coming too far in the distant future. So then you're like, Pastor, if you're martyred, are you blessed? Absolutely, because for me to live is Christ and me to die is gain. I will be in eternity with Jesus. Can I just tell you though, I don't want to be martyred, right? I, I'm not trying to get martyred, but I'm just telling you so I don't feel blessed. No, no. Salvation pulls us into eternity with Jesus. This life is so short. It's Peter and I, we worked on the, he, he, him and I, we asked him to help me at the book. I just finished a book. And one of the things that he helped me to do, I had a chapter talking about thoughts and he helped me to really articulate how our thoughts, it shouldn't just be positive thoughts. It's, it's eternal thoughts. Like positive thinking doesn't change your life. You know, positive thinking could be temporal. That's, that's the here on earth. What we got to do is get God's eternal perspective. That's how you keep moving forward when life is tough, when things don't happen. Why? Because you got eternity in focus with one eye while you're walking through the struggle here on this earth with the other eye. 
Don't lose the focus. So he said, good soldier. I'm going to go quickly through it now. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete, think about that, athlete, doesn't uh, receive a victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. And then the hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops and reflect on what I'm saying for the Lord will give you insight into all these things. So he's saying, look, you've got the military, the army, it prepares you. And then you've got athletics and the, the, the competition. What that does is that gives you practice and discipline and farmers just hard work. And, and I think it's hilarious. I moved to Rosenberg. Uh, we started church in Rosenberg. We're actually in Richmond now, but everybody would always laugh. I, Steve and them lived in Houston. He's like, oh, that's the sticks. You guys, that's all farming and stuff. I ain't never farmed a day in my life. So uh, anybody farmed? I mean, I know we're, they call us the country, um, but the country ain't so country. Uh, if you have ever farmed, I've not done it. I've heard some great things and stories. You start early in the morning. You don't go to bed till late at night. It's a lot of physical labor, hard work. It's a lot of discipline. So these are the ideas that are given to us when we're talking about discipleship. So think about that in our life. Does our life look like that of a soldier's? Does our life look like that of an athlete who's training to win? Does our life look like that farmer sowing seed? Where have you sowed seed expecting a harvest? Sometimes we want a harvest, but you ain't planted no seed. God bless it. Well, what'd you sow? Nothing. Okay, well then now it's just wishful thinking. Like, and how do you sow? You sow in love. You sow in forgiveness. Sure, you sow in finances. You, but, but it's way more than just money. It's every area. You sow in grace. Those who give grace receive grace. You want forgiveness? Give forgiveness. It's the law of reciprocity. Second thing discipleship is, it's relational. It's relational. Discipleship is not formed in information or individual study. It requires interaction with Jesus and with others. So I'm going to assume you've got the relationship with Jesus. Let's take it to the next level. It's about really living life in community. That's where discipleship is worked out. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Amplified version. It says, They were continually and faithfully devoting themselves to the instruction of the apostles and to the fellowship and to eating meals together and to prayers. So there's a couple of things they're, they're in tune with. The instruction of the apostle. That's, that's this us teaching right here. But it went beyond that. There was fellowship and breaking bread. And he's talking specifically about the Lord's Supper. And then praying. We pray every Saturday here at 9 a.m. In fact, we prayed yesterday for today. We believe Sunday starts on Saturday. Why? Because that's a model that we believe. We first pray it into existence and then we see it in existence. And so here he's talking about the community, but what you don't know that I do is this is just after Peter has preached to the masses and 3,000 people gave their life to Jesus. They had a salvation moment. So he's talking about this great revival that took place. 3,000 become a part of the body of Jesus. And the next thing they did was not just say thank you, not just show up on a Sunday, but they said, hey, we got to live in community. We got to live life together. We need to go out to eat together. We got to pray together. We got to serve together. Why? Because discipleship is worked out in community. That's how we grow. 
That's how we get healing. I'll, I'll look at James 5.16. Before I started this church, I didn't know anything about small groups. We, we tried to do them at the old church I went to. And, but really, it was, we, we, I went to church. I was charismatic background. We went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and then revival services. And we went to prayer at 6 o'clock on Saturdays. Come on, somebody. We lived at church. Yeah, anybody remember those days? Is it, is it just me, kind of the old school? I got a few. So, so what we, <laughs> I was, man, small groups back then, it was like, hey, go get a small group. And, and there were a few that happened, but it wasn't really taught as to the why. Really what we were taught is come to the big service and then go back home. And my pastor, Pastor Chris Hodges, is the one that really changed my heart and my perspective. When we started this church, it was like, hey, I heard small groups really help close the back door of your church, but it's bigger than that. It's not even about closing the back door of your church. It's about this passage in James, James 5.16. Look at this. It blew my mind when I understood this. It says, therefore, confess your sins. I'm going to let them throw it up on the screen because I want you to see it. It's that important. James 5.16 says, confess your sins. Is it up yet? There you go. Look, confess your sins, not to God. It's not what it says. Everybody say, to who? Wow, you mean, pastor, I'm supposed to tell people about my sins? Hey, I didn't make it up. I don't like it. Neither do I. Why? It makes you very vulnerable. See, we live in a society that loves Instagram. Post your best and hide the rest. I know ain't nobody. Who, who posted your worst day? See, this is what we do. How many of you, you just, hey, keep that passage up on the screen for me. Let us sit there for a second. Who, who, who is it that posts your fight? Hey, hold on, baby. I know we're fighting. Just hold on. Let's get a picture of this. Anybody? How many took a family photo and you didn't show you griping at your children, just smile for the love of God. You're going to hate it when you see it. Smile, and everybody smiles, and you go, so I don't know why you didn't do that the first time. It's so hard. No, no, no. What we see is a perfect family, a perfect marriage, perfect job, perfect everything. And so we live this pseudo life, and we bring that show your best, hide the rest to church, and we can... Wrap it up in this, I've had a bad experience. You know, someone didn't keep my secret. Someone kind of went and gossiped on me. Can I tell you, someone's gossiped on me. In fact, they probably did it last week. It happens all the time. But just because you get a bad haircut doesn't mean you stop going to get your hair cut. If someone's in a group that's not safe, go to another group. You don't stop meeting in a group. You got to find a group that's right for you with people that will love you and embrace you. And because here's the key right here when he says, confess your sins to each other, pray for each other so that healing may come. So if you want healing, it doesn't necessarily come from God. A lot of times we can fill the altars with people that say, oh, pray for me about this. And, and we do gladly. But then God will walk away and say, yeah, but I need you to get in a group because healing is walked out in community. We can pray for instant healing, but it's walked out in community. Why? Because that's what God's word says. 
We didn't say that. Look, we confess our faults to God and He is faithful and just to forgive us, but healing comes in the context of relationship. That's why we have over 50 small groups that we launched all throughout the city. You go to the website, anchorbend.com, and look at them. Why? Because we want to give you something else to do. No, we want you as disciples to grow. We want you as disciples to experience healing. We want you as disciples to know what it's like to have a community of believers. But again, it's challenging by choice. I've had people say, hey, we came to church and it's just too big. We don't feel connected. And the only thing I say is, man, I'm so sorry. And then my next question is, are you on a a serve team or are you in a small group? And typically the answer is no and no. And the next thing I say is, this is way too big for you to walk in on a Sunday and say, I get connected. In fact, I want you to know that you'll never get connected if the church is larger than 50. And this church is larger than 50. And God is intends not only this church, but every church to grow. But it will only grow if we build it on the back of discipleship and disciples. But again, it's challenged by choice. Will you choose to be a disciple? Will you choose to live? It's scary. Absolutely. You mean I'm going to take off my mask? Absolutely. You can find people. And here's the thing I've been doing. I have several small groups. I do a men's and Phyllis and I do a marriage. And here's what I recognize. When someone is authentic and real, and it's a scary thing. It's like, I don't know if anybody else is walking through this. Everybody else is walking through it. The devil wants you to think you're the only one. The moment you become real, it's like, oh, I'm, we're, we struggled. <laughs> that sounds just like us. And we're all walking through it and the devil wanted us to stay alone and isolated so he could pick us off and say, you you know, you're not good enough. God doesn't love you. No, it's a battle. It's a struggle. So we got to man up. We got to say, I'm a soldier. I'm an athlete. I'm a farmer. I'm going to do whatever it takes to be a disciple. And it's challenged by choice. The church will never be as effective in discipling you if you don't grab a hold of the relationships that are available through small groups and serve teams. Third thing is discipleship is sacrificial. Matthew 16, 24, you know, Jesus' call, it's an invitation to be a disciple. Follow me. Where do we follow him? To a place of self-denial and picking up our cross. And now the cross is really a religious icon. But back then, it would strike terror in the heart of a person that saw it. Why? Because family members, friends, people were brutalized on those crosses, murdered, executed. And so when he says, pick up your cross to a disciple back then, they would have recognized, wow, this, is, this ain't going to be a social club. Like, like, can you imagine, like, I'm a pastor. I love, I love the fact that our church is growing and God's doing great things. Um, but, but what I've recognized, and I think it was COVID that really helped me. I think we're all on a journey. It's great. But I, I just recognize we've, we've got to understand what we're walking into. Otherwise, when troubles come, we get disillusioned. But that's not why I joined the church. You told me I'd have hope and peace and joy and all those things, and that's true. But listen, those are byproducts of a relationship with Jesus. We may not get any of that on this side, you know, but in heaven, we get to spend eternity with him and he promises us his presence and his power here. But I'm just telling you, we don't, we don't get Jesus because of the benefits. It's because of salvation. We were lost, dying, going to hell because of the sin we committed, eternal separation. Jesus paid the price, died on a cross. It's his blood that has atoned for our salvation. That's why we become disciples. You saved me. 
and it's sacrificial. Deny myself. Any control freaks here? Raise your hand if you're a control freak. I'm going to raise both hands. I tell people all the time I'm like a recovering control freak. Come on, somebody. Is that okay? Like anybody, how many of you love to have the remote in the, in the TV? You, you got to have it. You're like, man, I, give me that remote back. And uh, what about you driving? Anybody drive if you're married? You're like, my spouse never drives. I don't even know how they get the kids where they go, but I will not take my life and in, in put it in their hands. I will drive every time we are together. Anybody like that? You're like, I'm going to drive. I'm going to drive. Yeah. Control freaks. Well, I wonder if in our life we have selected areas where God, I'll surrender this, but not that. God, I'll give you my time on Sunday, but don't ask me to come and serve. God, I'll give you my time on this, but don't, don't ask for that. Like, I'll give you, you know, my family, but don't ask for my marriage. Because I'm going I'm to fix my spouse. Come on, somebody. I got it, God. You know, God's like, hey, just pray for him. Let me talk to him. No, 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 you need help. Here's what I would ask. How's that going? God, I give it all to you. God, I surrender everything. God, it's total. See, that's what discipleship is, total surrender. And that's sacrificial. It's hard. I don't know. I I love to be in control, but when we become disciples, we relinquish control. Being being a disciple is like this. I I think a lot of people, you're driving your life. It's like driving in a car and Jesus is on the side of the road and you pull up in the car and you're like, what's up, Jesus? Hey, jump in. And he's like, no, scoot over. See, you wouldn't jump in the back. See, look, Jesus doesn't just sit on your list. He's, he wants the top of your list. I, that's where we got to be careful. It's like this mentality, the seeker movement, the church growth movement that started in 1961. It created the mentality of millennials and Gen Zs and anyone under 40 that God's a desperate boyfriend. God is not a desperate boyfriend. He loves you, but He is God. He is worthy of praise. He is worthy to be honored. He is worthy to give our life sacrificially and say, God, we go all in with you. See, who's desperate is us. The problem, we live in a society of iPhones, iPods, iMacs. Everything is about us. We become the sinner, and that's why our life is a mess. But there's a church that's rising up that says, God, we remove ourselves out of the center, and we say, you take your spot in the center of the church, in the center of our lives, in the center of everything that we are a part of. And when that happens, revival will take place. Salvation will happen in this city and people's lives will be radically touched, but it only comes through total surrender. When you surrender your life, we get to receive eternal life. John 10, 10, It's important that you know that surrender is not about just what you give up. It's about what we get to receive. Because if I just tell you, give, 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 and we're closing right now, Eli, you can come up. It feels like that's a lot of take. That's a lot of take. That's a lot of take. And, And then the assumption would be that you understand what the disciples understood. Because remember, Jesus has spent years with the disciples. So they've heard him teach, they've heard him talk, they've heard his heart. Now at the very end, he's going to make a demand. 
Some of you have not heard Jesus speak for years. You've not been close. You've not been in church. So I want to make sure you understand that, yes, when we go all in, when we surrender, there is a God I give up, but there's also God I receive. And John 10.10 says, the thief has come to steal, kill, and to destroy. But what has Jesus come? He came that you would have life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows eternal life, salvation. That's, that's a gift that we get in our life. And, and, and we are grateful for that. There's an exchange that happens. Freedom comes into our life. There's a misconception that freedom is getting to do whatever you want. Freedom's not doing whatever you want. Freedom is having the ability to make the right choice without any bondage, anything wrapping you up. See, when you're sitting in a jail and there's bars that hold you back behind that jail, if you think freedom is stepping outside of those bars, you've missed it. There are a lot of people outside of those bars from that prison who are not free. And yet there's a lot of people in prison behind those bars who are free. Freedom is not the absence of something. It's the presence of someone. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Truth brings freedom. Jesus is truth. The way, the truth, the life. See, freedom's not just the absence of anger. It's not just the absence of addiction. It's not just the absence of depression. It's not just the absence of the struggle, but it's the presence of Jesus. That God, in the midst of frustration, you give joy. In the midst of the struggle, you give hope. That's freedom. And 2 Corinthians 3.17 says it like this. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Freedom for our lives. And I, I've realized if you have a problem with surrendering, it's because you don't really believe Jesus has something better for you. hold on to what we got because we think that's the best thing there is. We believe that this is all. Reminded of a story. I want to I read this story. I don't often read a story, but I think it's going to be a great way for us to close the service. And it's a little girl. She had golden curls. was almost five she was waiting with her mother in the middle of a checkout stand and she saw right there glistening before her some white pearls in a pink foil box. Oh, mommy, can I have those pearls? Please, mommy, please. Quickly, the mom checked the back of the little foil box and then looked back into the pleading blue eyes of her little girl, her upturned face. And it's $1.95, that's almost $2, she said. If you really want them, I think we can find some extra chores for you to do in no time. And 
probably save enough money to buy them for yourself. Your birthday's only a week away and you might get another crisp dollar from your grandma. And as soon as Jenny got home, she emptied her piggy bank, counted out 17 pennies. After dinner, she did more than her normal share of chores and went to the neighbor's house and asked Miss McJames if she could pick up some of the dandelions in the garden. And then on her birthday, grandma gave her a brand new dollar bill. It was all she needed. Now she had enough for the necklace. Jenny loved her pearls. They made her feel all dressed up, grown up. She wore them everywhere, Sunday school, kindergarten, even to bed. The only time she ever took them off was when she went swimming or had a bubble bath. Mother said if they got wet, they would turn green. Jenny had a very loving daddy, and every night when she was ready for bed, he would stop whatever he was doing and come up the stairs and read a story to her. One night when he finished the story, he asked Jenny, Jenny, do you love me? Oh, yes, daddy. You know I love you. Then give me your pearls. Oh, daddy, not my pearls. But you can have princess, you know, the white horse that you gave me from my collection. It's my favorite horse. One with the pink tail. You know, it's my favorite, dad. No, it's okay, honey. Daddy loves you. Good night. He brushed her cheek with a kiss. About a week later, after the story time, Jenny's daddy asked again, Jenny, do you love me? Oh, daddy. You know that I love you. Then give me your pearls. Dad, anything but my pearls. But you can have my baby doll. That's the brand new one. You know the one I got for my birthday? She is so beautiful. You can have the yellow blanket that goes with it. They'll be matchy-matchy. Oh, that's okay. God bless you. Daddy loves you. And as always, he brushed her cheek with a gentle kiss. A few nights later, dad came in and Jenny was sitting on the bed with her legs crossed Indian style. And as he came close, he noticed her chin was trembling. There was one silent tear rolling down her cheek. What is it, Jenny? What's the matter? Jenny didn't say anything. She lifted her hands, gave to her daddy what was there. He opened it up and there was the little pearl necklace. With a quiver, she finally said, Here, Dad, it's for you. Tears gathering in his own eyes. Jenny, her dad reached out with one hand to take the dime store necklace and with the other hand reached into his pocket and pulled out a blue velvet case with a strand of genuine pearls and gave them to Jenny. He had them the whole time. He was just waiting for her to give up the dime store stuff so he could give her the genuine treasure. Surrender's not just about what you give up. It's about what God wants you to receive. Can we stand to our feet this morning? Father, we worship you. You know, I always move this part of the service and in this place, just say, what's the Holy Spirit speaking to you? What's God saying to you? What are you holding on to that you have counted as priceless? Maybe you've been holding on to your time. Maybe you've been holding on to your idea of the future, your dreams, your hopes. Maybe, I I, I don't know, maybe it's unforgiveness. You're like, if I forgive them, 
that's going to let them off the hook. No, forgiveness sets you free. If I do this, whatever it is, just right now, God, just, Lord God, I want to give you the dime store cheap stuff, the things that I've been holding on to. God, I want to be a disciple.